This week in the function room, climate warrior, the maths of climate change. I talked to a mathematician and a man wading knee deep in the climate models, Chris Budd, Professor of Applied Mathematics at the University of Bath. He takes me painstakingly, but in fairness, not painfully, through the key big numbers and big maths and big physics that we should kind of know about or be aware about when it comes to climate change. I recorded this a couple of years ago for Maths Week 2021. And guess what? We haven't fixed climate change since. So those numbers still apply. Apologies for the sound quality, particularly on my side on this. I have a slight long wave radio sound about me, uh, as if listening on a stolen, hidden radio set in wartime. It was a YouTube interview, and I think the internet had COVID when we recorded. So hopefully, the main thing is you can hear Chris, and sometimes you can hear me muffle in with questions. First thing I asked Chris, how did he get into all of this as a mathematician? I suppose, uh, so to tell you a little bit about my, my career, uh, I'm, I'm at the University of Bath now as Professor of Maths, but before I joined Bath, I, I worked for the power generating industry for the what was called the Central Electricity Generating Board. And at the time, everything they were doing was coal-fired power stations uh, with a bit of nuclear. But the, the team I was on was given a, a really exciting project, which was to look at the first prototype um, wind power um, generator. So uh, the first kind of propeller type windmill that yeah. we see everywhere. And, and we were given this way, way back in uh, 1986 or something like that. Uh, and we were doing some of the original work on that. Uh, and I suppose that's when we started getting really excited that here was something which could replace potentially uh, coal-fired power stations, which were causing all the, the problems with the climate. Um, so I got very excited then. Um, and sadly for, for me, the, the, the work, um, they basically stopped the work because they put funds into other things. And, and at that point I stopped. Um, but uh, that was kind of what ignited my interest. And, uh, and then I came back to it later on, particularly when I started working very closely with the UK Met Office, um, which was about 20 years ago. So as a mathematician, uh, you are you're working in climate and it obviously it's it's planet it's planet wide yeah. and there are billions of variables. But in, in order to figure out what the problem is and how things are, we need to know how things were. So how have we used our knowledge? physics and maths to figure out where we were just so that we know that you know things are getting worse or t temperatures are rising can you take us through just how they yeah. how they know temperatures are well, different to what they used to be that's a brilliant question well it's a it's a question with basically two answers so the met office uh, yet again was founded um about 200 170 years ago um and since then they've been taking pretty accurate measurements with thermometers so since then we've had direct measurements of temperature and that's easily long enough to see that there's been a huge change in temperature uh, particularly over the last century um, but we can go back a lot further using what are called proxy measurements so a proxy measurement is where you measure something which tells you about what was going on in the climate so a good example of that is tree rings um, if, if you um, have a, a hot summer, then the trees grow more and the tree rings are thicker. So you can look at tree rings uh, and you can go back hundreds of years with that and see from then what the climate was like um, 100, 200, 300, right back to Roman times uh, looking at tree rings. Um, if you want to go back further, then the best way of looking at the climate is to look at ice cores. So you uh, you get a big drill, literally, and you drill down into the ice, typically in the um, Arctic or the Antarctic. And you look at the ice cores and you can see the layers and that tells you the how many years there are. And, and you measure the amount of oxygen in each layer because that's all trapped. And from that, you can deduce what the temperature was. So using ice cores, we can go back, ooh, uh, 
several million years. And that tells us what the, the climate was like, uh, certainly a million years, uh, probably back to five million years. Obviously, the, the earlier you go, the, the less certain you get. So, so there we are. So there's all sorts of these things. So ice cores, tree rings, uh, and then uh, more recently, direct um, measurements by, by thermometers. Okay, so that's, that's a set of numbers. We can almost neatly box them off. That tells us that for whatever reason, temperatures are going up and yeah. the, you know, temperatures oscillate all the time. And, you know, we live in a solar system over which we have no control. Mad stuff happens. Yeah. Uh, so we have this data going back five million years. What is it about the ups and downs of those graphs? Because I suppose everybody thinks they live in the most important time possible. But when you look at 100 years or 200 years or 250 years in, in, in a graph that stretches back 5 million years, I suppose stat statisticians would worry that how do you know you're not in a, yeah. a blip? And how do you know that the, the, the tail that appears to be going up isn't the start of another down? So, so when, when they look at that data and they see up, down, up, down, up, down, down, up, what, where, where do they, they look at that then and say, right, this is a different type of up? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, I mean, people are, uh, quite rightly say that the climate is always changing, and it is. But what you do is you look at what we call time scales over which it changes. So if you go back a million years. Okay. So the slope. Uh, yeah. So over a million, last million years ago, we, we, we've had a series of ice ages. Uh, and in the ice ages, the Earth's temperature changes a huge amount. I mean, absolutely huge amount. And, and you get ice coming all the way down and um, Ireland was covered in ice, for example. And, and by looking at these ice core measurements, you can see the temperature going up and down and up and down. But the time scale for this is very long. It's, it's about 100,000 years. Um, we, we think it's due to the way the Earth is wobbling on its orbit. There are other things as well, but that's one of the main reasons. Um, now let's go to where we are today. So the last ice age finished about 10,000 years ago. And if nature was left to itself, we'd be cooling and going into the next ice age. But what we see instead, instead of a kind of cooling over thousands of years, we're seeing an incredibly rapid rise in temperature over the last 50 years, far faster than the temperature has ever written, risen at any point in the recorded history that we can see. So yes, we've gone up and down, but we've gone up and down slowly. Uh, and what is so significant is that we're going up very, very quickly. And that's what people are worried about. Okay, so quick and a lot, scale quick and, and a lot. okay. Quick and a lot. So you, 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 have your, you have your data that says temperatures are going up. And, and I think what I find interesting about the story of this is that depending on what question you're asking or where you're coming from fills in different bits of the jigsaw. So in parallel with looking at data, you have mathematicians and physicists looking at stuff about how a planet is a temperature and why it is for completely other reasons. So names that kind of almost flick through us from school physics or science or, or um, maybe university maths names like Fourier and Kelvin start to crop yeah. up. Yeah. So they're just, they're doing experiments on heat for heat's sake or yes, right. temperature transfer with, they're not thinking about climate change. They're delighted with their coal fires. So uh, what is it that, um, what, what is it? So we've got the earth and we've got a sun yeah. and we're in space. Can you take us through what it is? What are the fundamental questions that mean we can live on this planet and what the kind of the numbers are around that yeah. in, well, almost in parallel to what we know, for, almost forgetting whether temperatures are going up or not? Well, well, let's just say a little bit, uh, stick with the history for a minute. Um, I should say, by the way, that Kelvin, uh, who, who did a lot of work on understanding how heat transfers, was an Irishman and yeah. um, uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, one of my great heroes was a guy called Arrhenius. And 
Arrhenius uh, was at the sort of end of the 19th century, um, and he's very, very well known for his work in chemistry, uh, particularly understanding chemical reactions. Um, but it was Arrhenius that really constructed the first sensible climate model. And we're still using his model today. It, okay. it was very, very far-sighted what he did. So what Arrhenius thought was that, uh, imagine the Earth sitting in space. Um, it gets its energy primarily from the sun. Okay, that, there's a little bit of internal energy, but basically it's coming in from the sun. So energy comes in from the sun and it comes in uh, as primarily as light. Uh, we're very familiar with the sun coming being very bright. So, so the energy comes in um, as what we call short wave radiation. Um, and that then uh, heats up various things. It heats up the atmosphere. It heats up the, the surface of the Earth itself. Um, and then the Earth starts to warm up because of the sun um, and it begins to radiate energy back into space. Um, so we, we know when bodies get warm, they radiate energy. Anyone uh, who stands in front of a fire will know this. So the energy from the Earth gets radiated back into space. And what Arrhenius said was that the Earth reaches a sort of equilibrium temperature when the, the energy that it radiates into space equals the energy that comes in from the sun. And is that a kind of a school, an equation, a school level equation where by and large energy comes in must equal energy com coming out like a sort of a general energy balance thing that we're all we That's all right. use? Yeah. So. The the um, the mathematics behind this is is certainly uh, accessible um, at a school level. Um, now, there's various bit, extra bits of physics that, that Arrhenius had to think about. Um, well, one of which he, he knew about, another which he didn't know about. So um, <clears throat> one thing is that quite a lot of the Earth's, the, the radiation from the sun, gets reflected immediately back into space without heating the Earth up. This is uh, called the albedo. Um, if you look at the moon, the moon gets radiation from the sun, it reflects it off, and that's why we, we can see the moon. Um, so quite a lot gets reflected back into space, about, uh, about 40%. Um, the rest then gets into the into the Earth. Um, and as I say, the, the Earth radiates energy back, but quite a lot of that then gets reflected from the atmosphere back to the Earth itself. And this is absolutely key, um, because if if the atmosphere didn't reflect the Earth's and, uh, radiation and it all went back into space, we'd actually be a lot cooler than we are. Okay. So, so we need that to, to, to survive. Um, um, the moon doesn't have an atmosphere, it gets the same radiation from the sun that we do, because uh, basically the same distance from the sun, um, and it's much, much colder, and that's because the, it doesn't have an atmosphere. So what you have to do is, is you look at the radiation coming from the sun, how much gets through to the earth, and then look at how much then gets back out through the atmosphere, um, and, and then that's the balance that you have to kind of deal with in order to, to find the temperature of the Earth. Uh, and this, this interaction with the atmosphere is really key. Um, Arrhenius himself wasn't aware of that, but that was then developed later on as people thought more about, about the sort of energy that balance it. So there's heat coming in and something about the atmosphere keeps it in. Yes. And the atmosphere is a blanket, I suppose. It's, a, it goes, it's all around us. Yeah. It's made of lots of different gas. Yes. I presume it interacts with space, uh, but most of its business is done on the underside of the blanket. Would that be that, right? The right. kind of thing that changes it comes from below, be it yes. volcanoes so, so, or any, anything going up kind of well, does well, something to it. Yes. I mean, the, the key thing is that, that the, the Earth's atmosphere is made up of various gases. So you've got oxygen which we breathe and nitrogen which is the main component um, but there are certain gases in the atmosphere which we call greenhouse gases um, and these are the ones which reflect the energy back from the earth to itself and the key greenhouse gases are um, carbon dioxide 
um, and methane and to a certain extent water vapor as well. Um, and it's these gases which are in the kind of lower bits in, in, in what we call the troposphere, um, which is the low atmosphere, uh, reflecting the uh, energy from the earth back to itself, which, which, which keeps us warm. Okay, so, and it's interesting that when we first heard about all of this, mm. we would hear about the greenhouse effect almost as if uh, the greenhouse effect itself is bad. You know, you know the way when, by the yeah. time it gets to your inbox, the way yeah. information gets sort of, not maliciously, but just gets chewed up, so you could go around thinking, oh, we need to stop the greenhouse effect or whatever. But actually, it's the greenhouse effect is fine. It's just there might be too much of it or too little of it for that's, whatever reason. So, right. so so all of these things, that's perfectly natural carbon and methane. They come from places, they stay there, they break down or whatever. Um, but at some point, and I suppose we could start with carbon because it's probably, yeah. I guess, the one that's most common. At some point, carbon... They find they, they find there's more of it than there should be. Well, well, to to give you some figures again, we can go back in time and, and relatively easy easily measure the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So again, with our ice cores, they they trap they trap gas and they, they and you can look at the oxygen and you can look at the carbon dioxide and and so you can actually see how much carbon dioxide there was in the atmosphere. And before the industrial revolution. So the Industrial Revolution was around about 1800. Um, the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere was uh, about 250 parts per million. So, uh, you know, in uh, a million uh, cubic metres of, of air, which is a lot, you'd have 250 um, cubic metres of, of, of carbon dioxide. So, so that, that was the level, and, and it went up and down in the ice ages, um, uh, as well as the temperature, but stayed around about that level. And, and that kept us all this kind of reasonable temperature. Um, but then uh, around about 1800, um, the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere started to rise. Uh, and it's been rising and rising and rising. And it's, it's now, uh, I think the latest measurement's about 420 parts per million. So it's not far short of doubled since the uh, beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And, and that's what's causing um, the greenhouse effect to increase. So the greenhouse effect on its own is, is great. You know, we, without carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, we, we wouldn't be here. But unfortunately, you can have too much of a good thing. It's like you can't, you know, ice cream is lovely to eat, but you don't want to eat too much of it. Just to deep dive a little bit without getting too molecular. Yeah. But what is it about carbon that uh, is greenhousey? Like what's, what, what <laughs> happens there? What a super question. Um, so roughly speaking, what's going on is that the carbon dioxide is transparent to shortwave ra radiation like light, but is much more opaque to longwave radiation uh, like um, uh, infrared, which is what the Earth is radiating on. Um, so I, I, I always think of it in electronics because my background yeah. is in electronics. It's like what we call a diode. It, it lets it through one way and not through the other, or a valve, if, if you like that yeah. way. Um, the, the detail physics is pretty complicated as, as to what's going on. It, it's all to do with the way the, 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 the radiation interacts with the molecule. But it, it basically, the longer the wavelength, um, the, the more it's blocked by the carbon dioxide. And, and that's what causes... Uh, it to kind of then get reflected back to the Earth's surface. So almost like the story so far, we, we have some things we know and, you know, we know temperature, you're fairly sure temperature's going up. That's yeah. some science that's incontrovertible. It's based, if you believe in bubbles in the ice, if you believe that's possible, if you believe in tree rings, that yeah. gives you temperature information. If yeah. you believe in you know the basics of heat transfer and interactions between molecules and how many watts per meter square we get from the sun and you yeah. know what temperature we are so all of that kind of stuff is i suppose reachable you know like it it it's based on some uh things that have been incrementally built up 
across physics and yeah, chemistry yeah, and yeah. and maths over over centuries then i suppose if this then we get to the tricky bit because you still you have two things you know and then you come to climate <laughs> and yeah climate is just you know the earth is whatever 600 million square miles or square kilometers or something and a storm is three miles wide or yeah. you know wind blows over 30 miles or 500 miles all you know so that's it's so it's so complex i wonder before we before we get to climate and the modeling if we and definitely not falling into the trap of mixing up weather and climate but if we step out into well, they're not, they're, they're all related yeah um we step back out into weather which mm -hmm. is like also chaos but you can see it from your yeah. window if you know what i mean so it's yeah. more accessible can you tell us about weather in terms of um I, I i i saw something you did which was interesting in that you you had a list of equations and i know it's hard to talk to say an equation and then imagine listening to it on a podcast or even <laughs> watching you say it but i thought what was interesting was that you you broke down five very familiar concepts that I would know about with weather, you know, like pressure and, yeah, sure. and, and momentum and all that and map them back to uh, um, physics. I wonder, could we just say weather for a second and just yeah. give us that kind of context? Well, yeah. So let, let's, let's say, so the, the, the equations for the weather, um, the original equations were written down uh, in the 18th century by a marvellous guy called Leonard Euler. Um, and we still call some of the equations the Euler equations, but, but they were then developed in the 19th century um, by a French mathematician called Navier. Just and to interrupt, so that's obviously the Euler. And yes. was, he, was he looking at weather at the time or was he looking at something else? What Euler was doing was trying to write down the equations for how a fluid moves. Okay. So, okay, let's start with the history. So we start with Newton and Newton wrote down his laws of mechanics and he was thinking of things like planets and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then Euler, the great Euler, who, who did so much mathematics, took Newton's laws and applied them to a fluid. So that could be air or liquid. Yeah. And he wrote down basic equations for, for that, which, which were nothing more than conservation of momentum and conservation yeah. of mass so these are newton's laws but just done for fluid and and then in the 19th century a french mathematician called navier and what i was building up to was an irish mathematician called stokes who who yeah. comes from sligo extended these to 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 um to include what we call viscosity so the stickiness and these are called the navier stokes equations and these are the equations which tell you how the air moves, which is the wind, and how the ocean moves, which are the ocean currents. And they are based on the laws of momentum, um, transfer, F equals MA, and conservation of mass. And just to interrupt, sorry, Chris, when they when when a 19th or an 19th century uh, scientist is looking at fluids, do they have like industrial problems in mind that they're trying to solve? Are they looking at uh, navigation or are they looking at it for its own sake? Uh, they were looking at it for its own sake, but but then the, the people that made ships and dams and canals uh, took on their stuff and, and started using it a lot. So uh, dams and rivers and waterways were, were then... Uh, help designed using this uh, and then crucially and wonderfully uh, at the beginning of the 20th century uh, all of this stuff was then used to um, design airplanes so the first airplanes uh, I've just been reading I might show you uh, where are we oh, a wonderful book this is a wonderful book I've just been reading called the flying mathematicians of world war one um, and he talks about all the kind of maths that was used um, trying to find some of the maths I'll uh, well, it, you know, it looks at aeroplanes and aerofoils, and all this maths was used to design aeroplanes. And aeroplanes, you know, the Wright brothers used a ton of maths for, 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 their, for their designing their aeroplanes. Their so all of that was sort of going on. Um, and 
Kelvin, who we've just mentioned, the other great Irish uh, mathematical physicist, he was studying heat. So he wrote down the equations, what we call the equations of thermodynamics, um, which are how heat moves around. And, and so you combine those with how air moves around and, and you more or less got the weather. Um, yeah. And then you have to add in a little bit extra. So you, you add in uh, uh, the, the way that moisture and water is moved around. Um, and that was mostly worked out by another 19th century mathematician called Rayleigh. And last of all, you put in uh, the equations for pressure, and, and that is um, uh, people like, like um, um, Boyle and people like that. So the, I think at school you learn that PV equals mu RT or stuff like that. This is called the ideal gas law. And those equations, if you glue them all together, that's the equations for the weather. Yeah. And those equations are solved every six hours to give you a weather forecast. Okay. And they translate into, you know, the wind, the yeah. air pressure, the temperature and chance of precipitation. And the amount of moisture. Yes. Yeah. So what, what, moisture, what is yeah. the weather as far as we can see? And yes, it's the temperature, it's the wind, it's the rain, um, <clears throat> it's the air pressure. Um, and uh, all of that's in these equations. Yeah. So, so a weather forecaster is looking at so those, those models take in information, they process those equations, yeah. and they have a, a degree of confidence that within 10 days we're, you know, obviously a decreasing level, but we think at, at by the 10th day, we're, you know, 50% confident this is what will happen. Well, well that's right. I mean, as, as I like telling everyone, um, you, you can't be dishonest as a weather forecaster because if you get the weather forecast wrong, people tell you. Um, yeah. So <laughs> you, 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 uh, you, you can do that. I mean, we can forecast. They're, they're, they're the one scientific community that is called out <laughs> on a very, yeah. very regular basis. But my, my great joke is, is that we never need to forecast the weather in England. All I have to do is, is, is ring up my friends in Ireland and say, what's the weather? What's on the way? <laughs> and then, well, that's what's on the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, remove, it, remove some rain for a yeah. rain shadow effect. Add in some from the Irish Sea. Yeah, and... But it's, it's, it's pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, but in a way that what we're just talking about there leads to, you know, so you're, you're talking about all the different variables and yeah. to the both the untrained and trained brain, it looks like something I know that you talk about, like complete chaos. Like it's just so much, so much information yeah. pouring in that it would seem un, unpredictable, but yet by and large, they get it right. And is that is that a combination of sheer brute force of measurements? Are... There's a, a strong amount of organisation. So the laws of physics predict that you get very stable sorts of patterns like, like um, a de depressions forming over the Atlantic. These are very stable patterns. And um, um, part of that, in fact, is due to the, the, the fact that we're on a rotating Earth and the rotation actually puts a lot of organisation into, into, into the weather. So um, we, we, we've got good, stable weather patterns and the weather tomorrow is pretty likely to be what the weather yeah. is today with a probability of about 70 percent okay. so whilst yeah if you look at a cloud it's very complicated um the broad weather patterns are are, are predictable and uh, people were predicting the weather fine uh, before computers come along it's just the computers do a better job so so you you're, you're getting a handle on the weather and data gets collected year on year and i suppose yeah. empirically you notice things are changing at what point does weather become climate well that's a very good question um so the joke is that after 10 days weather becomes climate because <laughs> <laughs> you can't forecast accurately day on day after 10 days um cl climate climate changes are kind of the overall average change year on year um, of, of what the weather is doing. So um, I can't forecast what the weather will be this time next year, 
but we can say with high probability that it will be quite similar to today um, because we know that it's cooler in October than it is, say, in, in August. So, so these sort of things, you can make these sort of general predictions. Um, and then what you're trying to do with climate is seeing how these sort of slow changes uh, evolve uh, over decades or, or longer. Okay, so when it comes to climate, you know, you, you look at, to my just kind of guessing, you, you watch, you take 10 years and you, yeah. you draw a slope. Yeah. And, you know, the points, you got dot, 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 dot scattered around your graph, but in a general, a general slope. Yes. And then the simplest thing is that you, you draw a straight line through that, continue it on into the future. Yes. And that gives you, um, a, it gives you some conditions in the future. But okay. we hear, obviously, that it, we hear an awful lot about models. And there, I presume there are lots of different models mm. for prediction and they come up with different things insofar as it's possible to describe a climate model um without an entire wall of uh you know like a, a, ho a hollow yeah. screen <laughs> moving moving things around um what what does it look like is it does it take does it chew up gigabytes of data run the five equations and spit them out what would it look like if I if I met one? Okay, I'll, well, I'll try and explain because there 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 are uh, different types of climate model. Mm. So um, the most complex models, which are what we call general circulation models or GCMs, take these five equations, the weather equations, and add in extra stuff. So you, yeah. you need to add in a lot about the um, chemistry of the atmosphere and the carbon dioxide and all that stuff. That's just what we've been talking about. You need to add in a lot about ice because ice is terribly important to climate. Mm. Um, you need to add in uh, the effects of vegetation because that uh, has methane issues. You've got to put in the oceans uh, because ocean currents are very important in climate. So um, you basically got these five equations for the atmosphere, plus the chemistry, plus the ice, plus all the ocean stuff, plus dot, dot, dot. Um, you, do you um, do you throw in stuff for the sun? By the way, does the sun um, that's vary very, enough? Very, very good question. Um, the sun varies, um, and that is important, um, but it it varies fairly slowly. Um, so we know um, about three hundred years ago, uh, we had this thing called the Little Ice Age when Western Europe was much cooler than it is now. Um, and that was due to the, the sun having less energy at the time. So um, this is what we call space weather. So mm. that's something else that we add in. Um, but over the, the last decade or so, the sun's been pretty stable. Okay. So it, in fact, it's slightly cooling. Um, in terms of measurements, are there people collecting samples in thousands of locations? Oh, yes. We've got a lot of stuff going on. So the the you've got um, different types of data. So you've got a lot of schools are doing a great job in getting the, the pupils at the school to make measurements at the school. Fabulous. So we've got all that sort of data coming in. Um, we've got data from uh, climate centers all over the world. Um, we've got data from satellites. Uh, we've, we've got data from ships going you know around airplanes. All this is gathering data okay. and feeding it in all the time. Uh, and we, what we do is the, the, the buzzword is assimilate the data into our models. So the models are constantly being updated with all this data. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that, that gives you this huge thing, this general circulation model. Um, and then you have to add into that the most hard thing to model, which there is, which is people. So you, you try to include in this models for how you think, um, for example, industry is going to push stuff up into the atmosphere. And that, that's really hard to model because it you know, depends on political decisions, which uh, are not subject to any sort of mathematical laws. So that, that gives you your um, Earth, what's called an Earth system model, where you've got the climate model linked up with all the stuff that people are doing. 
And these are vast things. You need supercomputers to run. I mean, the joke is, and it's not a joke, that, that you use so much energy to run the supercomputers that that actually affects the climate. But anyway, that's not what I do. What I do as a mathematician is I look at these vast sort of things and sort of say, well, can I see organized patterns in these? And can we describe the patterns using simpler models than these vast GCMs? Um, I've already described a simple model to you, which is where we imagine the Earth to be just a thing with a temperature. Um, and the energy balance model predicts that temperature really well, really well. Um, so that's a very simple thing, which gives you the average temperature of the Earth averaged out over all the Earth over all the day and so on. But it doesn't give you much else. Well, it doesn't give you anything else. Um, so if you want to look at something like, well, the problem I'm studying at the moment uh, is the what we call the North Atlantic circulation. So what keeps Ireland warm? Why Ireland yeah. is much warmer than Canada. OK, um, so we're trying to study the circulation in that and whether that will be itself affected by climate change. Um, and you can do that using a much simpler model because you're looking at this big organized thing, the, the, the ocean current. Um, and so that's what we're, we're what's what I'm studying at the moment. So you, you've, you've got these models and there are a number of them. Mm. They, they tell us how things, they differ, I presume, but is the level to which they differ in itself a general indication you're in the right zone? Um, well, it's, it's good that things differ because if they all gave the same answer, then they, that wouldn't tell you anything really. I mean, yeah. um, the, um, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, which, which produces government, wrote big reports on climate change, looks at a whole ton of models. And each model has its own assumptions built in, and they look at the predictions of all these models. And, and, the, and if all the models are pointing in the same way, then it's basically saying that is happening. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, ma the main difference between the models are things like how much carbon dioxide do we think is going to go into the atmosphere? Um, what is the influence of the permafrost melting and stuff like that? These are difficult things to model. Um, so you get models, you know, uh, climate centers all over the world running different models, and, and that's good. Um, I mean, if I want to know what the time is, I often take two, two clocks and look at the difference between the two of them, because one can go off in its own way, but, you know, the two are going to kind of average each other out. So that's actually good. Um, and so you, you shouldn't be worried if two models differ, because all models have their own assumptions built in. What, what's important is that you know what those assumptions are. Uh, and this is what the IPCC does very, very carefully. Are there some things that are pure chaos that if you were looking at them in a graph, they would go off a cliff? I think what you're talking about is what we call a tipping point. Yeah. Um, where you get this sudden change. The answer to that is in the past, almost certainly, yes, we've seen these. Um, when we've seen massive change over uh, well a thousand years may seem a long time to us but climatically it's actually a short time uh, and this is um when we typically at the end of an ice age uh the earth warms up in in a thousand or two thousand years so that's some sort of tipping point um so so to a climate scientist two or three thousand years nothing okay but it's way, way, way longer than the period, what we're seeing at the moment. So that we call a tipping point. And, and yes, there, there's uh, evidence that that has occurred in the past. Um, what we're worried about is whether that might happen in the future. Um, and it, it, it's actually extremely hard to tell. Um, my, my own instinctive feeling is, is that this isn't happening, um, that you'd have to kick the system quite a bit more for, yeah. for that to happen uh but not everyone will quite agree with me i mean there's you've got these the permafrost I, i'll give you an example um so um you've got the permafrost let's suppose that melts then that releases methane into the atmosphere the methane is a greenhouse gas so it warms everything up uh, and therefore the permafrost melts more and you get this sort of runaway cycle um, and if that happened, yes, you could get something rapidly changing. Uh, but we, 
in the sort of models that I look at, we're, we're a fair way away from that happening. It's more gradual change that we're seeing. But even the gradual change is, is, is enough to be not good. And in terms of the not goodness of it, it all adds up to what we we generally understand, you know, we, we've, we know about 1.5 and then yeah. as a, you know, it's already gone up that much and we're, yeah. we're trying to limit it to two or whatever. And then there are some models that go up to eight, but they all, they all go in a certain direction and, you yeah. know, there's a certain percentage of scientists, but yet um, almost the level of consensus in itself seems to tempt people uh, to the contrary view and like for me I don't know how the climate works I just look at what everybody else seems to be saying as me the consumer the punter I'm yeah. thinking I'd be it would be very unlikely if they were all wrong or up to something yeah. but there are there are, I, I keep on seeing tropes mm. about you know here oh well because you know when you're trying to debate with somebody and yeah. you don't have your glasses on or you're, you're in a rush and they throw some factoid at you and you actually don't have a response. But there are some tropes that generally come up quite regularly about why there is no climate change or uh, actually if there is, it's not us. And uh, if it is us, it's not, we're not big enough to do anything. I wonder, could we just bullet point, tip down through a few of them yeah. just, just for people to carry off with them? I might list off a few if that's all right um and yeah so what a lot of the time i hear oh it's the sun it's a solar cycle this is yeah. all part of a cycle give it give it twenty thousand years we'll be an ice age again what's what's the quick answer to that well the answer to that is is the solar cycles are, are much longer so they they're, they're ten thousand years minimum hundred thousand years average so we're just not we're not seeing things happening we're seeing things much much faster than that and and the, the sun itself at the moment is slowly cooling so okay. that's going against the fact that things are rising yes the sun is vitally important of course it is um but that's simply not what we're seeing at the moment another one i see so these aren't grouped thematically or anything but a weird one i see which is a sort of um it's almost like a very human one because it's something you'd almost think yourself which is well they've been saying this for ages you know they said this in 1980 1990 2000 yeah. 2010 yeah. and we still haven't had any catastrophe so so therefore they've been predicting catastrophe i haven't seen any catastrophe therefore they're just cassandras well we're seeing one of the effects of climate change well we're seeing a lot of uh, massive change in biodiversity and that's un, un, without question we're seeing that so you you know animal species are are, are dying um, we're seeing a massive change in the amount of ice. So, you know, the, the huge loss of ice in the Arctic has uh, every chance that we'll lose all the ice in the next 50 years. Um, we're also seeing um, a very significant increase in what we call extreme events. So that's much, much hotter days or stronger storms. Uh, and again, the, the statistics of this are completely undeniable. Um, so, we haven't got to a catastrophe yet, but things are, are definitely getting worse. And um, it's a question of how much more you want to take, really. Um, so, yeah, many years ago, they were predicting things will go in a certain direction, and we've seen them go in that direction. Okay. Um, one that I think is, I think anybody would be sensitive to is, we're all victims of groupthink. Uh, I, I find a weird kind of, um, um, what's the word, uh, contradiction. I feel like people who don't believe climate change is real love maths but hate science. Our science, scientists are up to something, and, and, but if you look at the maths. But is there, is there such a thing as, is groupthink possible in science or when you get beyond a certain number of people, it's impossible. I think the great physicist Richard Feynman uh, put it really well. He said, you can't fool nature. So uh, at the end of the day, nature is going to do what it's going to do. And it obeys the laws of physics. And the laws of physics are pretty clear that, that we're having climate change. So, so it's not science doesn't really work by authority. It works by careful measurements um, and um, careful deductions from those measurements. 
Um, and, and that's what's going on. It's, it's, it's not a, a group think thing at all. It's, it's looking at the evidence and, and drawing conclusions from it. And you personally are not being paid by big green something to... Uh, <laughs> I can assure you to, I am not being paid by... <laughs> to, uh, to clamp down on the, um, on the civil rights of brave fossil fuel uh, <laughs> conglomerates. Sadly, my salary does not uh, in any way. Uh, it's not, it, I'm not being paid. <laughs> <laughs> and, another, and a final one, which is, we are just human, small humans. How could you change a planet, uh, the, the atmosphere that goes 50 miles from surface up to space? How could we do that? Well, that, that's, a, that's a, a perfectly good question. And, and it's a question we can actually answer using these climate models. So uh, what you can do is you can um, start a climate model off with the conditions at the beginning, let's say, of the 20th century. And you can run it forward in time. And, and you can run it forward in time without putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and run it forward in time with putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And if you run it forward in time without human-made carbon dioxide, the temperatures will be much lower than they are now. And if you put in the carbon dioxide that we know we've put out because we can measure it, the temperatures are exactly what they are now. So um, those models clearly show that it's humanity which is causing the temperature rise. Okay. So we, uh, we've, I suppose, focused on the science um, and it has been, and I, we didn't talk too much about the effects because it is very grim and I think a lot of people are, are aware of it. But what I would like to do is find out from you. It's something I try to find out from people in this area in general. You're still working away at it. What gives you hope from your vantage point, seeing what you see, because you yeah. see a lot of bad news, yeah. presumably, um, but yet you get up, you go to work. I'm going to give two answers to that question. So the first answer goes way back to what I said right at the beginning of this, which was that I was working on this sort of first wind generator with the electricity generating board and it all kind of fizzled out, blah, 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 blah. Um, and at the time, wind energy was nothing. Um, we're now seeing renewables taking over the energy supply and uh, wind energy is, is, is huge and, and it's 50%, it'll get up to 80% the rate we're going. I am incredibly encouraged by that. Um, so I, I, I do a lot of work on, I continue to work in renewable energy um, and, and the rising is, is wonderful. And, and this is gonna make a massive difference to us and, and the um, use of, of uh, electrical vehicles rather than internal combustion. This is all heading totally in the right direction. So I'm super hopeful about that. But the other answer is, 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 is an even better one, I think, in that I've got a team of uh, PhD students uh, working for me on various climate projects. And these are super motivating. They are incredibly bright, energetic young people that want to do their best to change the planet. Uh, and, and that gives me the most hope I can ever have to see how, how good these young people are and the, the motivation they have. Does the... the depth and seriousness of like have you seen a sense of mission in a scientific direction that probably there wouldn't have been a reason so there's always science for science sake and yeah. inquiry for inquiry's sake and let's find out what the next thing is now that we've discovered this yeah is this and like nobody wants this mission we would prefer if we didn't have this mission we were all yeah. you know sitting around eating grapes and you know reclining thinking our all everything's been discovered but well, does that sense of mission is a part of that well let me give you an example uh so i have one one phd student uh, who um is from nigeria and uh he's concerned about the impact of climate change on on the agriculture of nigeria and he's come all the way over to england to work with me um to work on trying to predict what that impact is going to be so that they can do something about it in his home country and and he's been working tirelessly on me that so there is a massive mission that i'm seeing with him um, and that's reflected uh, in many other the young people that i see working in, in the climate area but that they feel something needs to be done and they want to use their uh, knowledge and skills to do that and and uh, that gives me great hope 
And one last one, actually, that just occurred to me. As scientists, we've talked a lot about the numbers, but I think one of the, the ideas that's taken hold a lot in the last couple of years is the idea that climate, the notion of climate justice and that climate dealing with climate change is about dealing with inequality as well. Is there a challenge and is it something that scientists are learning that as they think about, so they know that they gathering data, I suppose, yeah. is agnostic, but even also it depends on where you gather the data and yeah. there are biases built in on who you're asking and yeah. that kind of stuff. Is that something you've had to learn as well? Very much so. In fact, I, I went to an amazing talk just yesterday by the, the director of the Eden Project, that's obviously very involved with climate stuff, um, who, who made exactly this point that, that climate, studying climate, you have to step out of your kind of narrow scientific way of thinking to have a much more holistic way um, because climate change affects affects people and people affect climate so you you can't separate one from the other um, and it's 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 very hard to model how people will react so so yeah uh, everyone not just scientists needs to be thoroughly involved in, in the climate debate i think we can probably wrap it up there I, i've really found that very interesting and you have we haven't reduced temperatures while we've been on in fact in fact the uh, we've contributed a bit of carbon in uh, hosting this but i do i do feel perhaps that it has given me maybe a sense of just something tangible what's out there is is it important that people try and engage a little bit with some of the numbers around it does do you think that's a worthwhile uh, uh, so because uh to to quote a great uh but sadly a uh, deceased friend of mine, David Mackay, he said, uh, without numbers, climate change is just a load of hot air. Thanks very much, Chris Budd there. And Chris is back in Ireland this week uh, for Maths Week 2023. And talking about the maths of climate change and climate models and weather models and all of that. So that's it for the Function Room this week. Thanks very much for listening. Please spread the word. Give a review wherever you do your reviews. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.